This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. I want to start by patting us all on the back. I want to just read out Glenn's message because, Glenn, you've taken the time to write it. We appreciate it. He says, you guys are great. Ten Durham's in the post, Glenn. Uh, Cheer me up no end. A complete antidote to the wretched virus, of course, that we're living through. Great, Great content. That doesn't happen often. From the three of you, terrific music tonight as well. Massive shout out to uh, producer Tom on that front as well. And yeah, claps all round. So thank you very much for that, Glenn. Humbling stuff indeed. We thank you for that. For the time being though, and for the next 10 minutes or so, big debate to be had this evening. We'll get to the tennis at about 7.30 and we'll be back on Facebook Live for that as well. But radical proposals Robert Greenfield put forward for English football. They have been proposed by Manchester United and Liverpool, the two biggest clubs bar none in English football and I can safely say that given what they've won and the trophies won over of course the the entirety of the English game. Well specifically they've been proposed by Joel Glazer and Joel Joel Joel, John W. Henry the owner of Liverpool. Two American billionaires (laughs) Yeah who, let's be honest, we know all about American sport. We know that American sport likes to protect itself. The big franchises like to ensure that nothing happens to interrupt the status quo. And and there's no volatility. There are no new kids on the block. There are no teams that break through. It is a closed shop. And I think there's plenty of aspects to American sport that make a lot of sense and are very appealing. And there are, are, of course, aspects to American sport that that are less appealing. The fact Mm. that, for example, in the NBA or the NFL, there is no relegation and promotion. There's no chance for fresh blood for new teams to break through into those divisions. I love the the volatility. I love the idea that Leicester City can win a Premier League title, that perhaps Everton this year can challenge for the top four. So any move, ultimately, that looks to, to rid sport of its volatility and its unpredictability, is really uh, a kind of anathema in a way towards what we're all hoping for and what we're all willing for. But that being said, looking through some of the changes that are being proposed and let's by, get... by, by this, this project, whatever you want to call it, the, project, the big picture, big picture. Uh, looking at it, and there are certain things that can be applauded in it and that can be that certainly would, would help. And let's be honest, right now, the Premier League uh, is living in some weird world that is completely detached from mm. the from the reality, the cold hard reality of of life for most clubs in the English Football League right now is financial ruin. It is living from month to month, not knowing whether they're going to be able to pay staff, whether they'll be able to complete continue to play players' wages uh, behind closed doors. And obviously the, the lack of gate receipts is badly affecting any club, really, that's not in the upper echelons of either the Premier League or the Championship. And there are certain aspects to this, and I know they're using this to push through their plans and, and they're obviously dangling a carrot and for that's the lower the point. clubs. And that's the point to me because I've seen a lot of journalists, uh, David Conn in The Guardian today, who I'm a big fan of, writes a beautiful piece and, and he's defended aspects of it. Now, my understanding of it is it's all good and well cherry-picking one or two aspects that you think, yeah, they're great, they're lovely. 
that's not what they're proposing. It comes as the full package, and ultimately, the full package is a big uh-uh from me. Let's go through some of the key points. Premier League would be cut to 18 teams from its current 20. So on that front, I put a little question mark. Two teams losing out at the top table of I English football. If we're going to go point by point, that doesn't offend me. I mean, but I'm not saying teams. that it needs to happen, but yeah, that doesn't offend me. I mean, it's all about the elite, right? Yeah, but, but what are you saying about the 20 clubs who have worked tirelessly behind the scenes and on the football field to be in the Premier League? So what, for one season, there'll be four relegated and only two come up? I, I don't buy into that. I think the teams that are in the Premier League now, the 20 teams, have, have got there through hard work. Some of them have Inevitably, got through... Inevitably, you, you, you know, Chris, that most Premier League seasons go by and there's at least one club, sometimes two, who just have no business but being in the will, Premier that League. that will always be the case, even if you cut it to 18 teams. I, I always believe there will be a team cut adrift. I think it's 20 teams. That is just... That's for the sake of making changes. The, the next one is the big one that, yes, massive tick, a £250 million bailout to clubs in the Football League. £250 million would be ring-fenced to secure teams that have been struggling during this pandemic with no yeah, fans coming because, in. because where has the Premier League and what have they done to help struggling clubs? Well, no, Precisely the, the square root of nothing no, so Exactly. Far. The, the chasm is, is a big one and it's ever-widening. So that, you understand why a lot of people have given that the big tick. League Cup and Community Shield scrapped. You like them both. I like one element. I don't think the League Cup is all that necessary. I'd scrap them both. I mean, the Community Shield, fine, as a, as a, as a curtain raiser. We are so saturated with football. I've been to a Community Shield. The atmosphere was flat. Yeah, it is. It, was just it doesn't people, offend. It doesn't offend, but why have it? Like, it because it's, it's going to mean something. It's a, at the end of the day, it's a trophy. Clubs have now started counting the Community Shield because trophies are, are now the be-all and end-all. Apparently, uh, the, all the community shield doesn't offend me. It is the traditional curtain raiser. It pits the league winners against the FA Cup winners. League Cup, I can get on board with. You look at other leagues, certainly Spain, Italy, Germany, there is one cup. The FA Cup, the Emirates Airline FA Cup, is so much rooted in history and tradition. The oldest cup competition, for goodness sake, it is enough. So I'm with you on half of that. The community shield doesn't offend me, therefore I'm happy for it to continue. Parachute payment stopped. Doing away with that. If you're relegated, you ain't seeing any more cash. Another thing that we I'm, get a I'm behind tick. that. I agree with that. What, not give the teams who have been at the top table a leg up when they go back down? Yeah, Absolutely. I, would, yeah, I probably agree with that. Parachute payments doesn't affect Relegation means relegation. Yeah. And that's what it should. It should mean having to and, start again. Yeah, start again. Okay, we both agree with that. 25% of Premier League's annual income goes to the EFL, so TV money. Every deal that is signed, 25% filtered down. Again, we'd both sit here and agree that's a good idea. Of course mm. it is. That and alongside the 250 million bailout money that they've ring-fenced. A 100 million pound gift to the Football Association. Again, if it's spent wisely and it's not spent on suits and it's spent wisely on grassroots, then again, really nice gesture. Brilliant. 100 million quid if it's spent wisely and as I say, could go a long way. Here's where it gets murky and here are the areas that no, not for me. 14 club majority voting system completely changes so right now 14 clubs in the Premier League need to come together and agree on a change with this there'd be none of that special status for the big six they have welcomed with open arms Everton, West Ham and Southampton that would make it a nine this is where it gets even more murkier and you know where we're going with this 
Six, though, of nine votes would be enough to pass proposals. Okay, making, and this is Martin Samuel, to pinch a line from his piece today, making the aforementioned three, nothing but patsies in all of this. Why let them enter your club if, in effect, six votes will essentially mean proper change can happen, i.e., I don't know, let's say Saudi Arabia want to buy in to a football club. If the big six, six clubs of those nine, veto that, it doesn't happen. Essentially, it's a closed club. Teams that have aspirations of breaking into the top six, teams who haven't had the leg up, the opportunities of, say, a Manchester City with their ownership, say, a Man United who have been taken over by the Glazers, £1 billion spent on their squad since Fergie left, never get that opportunity again in this model that they've got. So whilst there's aspects of it, Rob, that make sense, ultimately, in what they've proposed, there is too much of it that actually goes down the American model. It's protecting their own interests. That's not the way we want football to go. It comes back to your point. Part of the beauty of sport is for it to be open, for the Leicester cities of this world to have true and meaningful aspirations of breaking into that. That doesn't happen with that. Sure, but, but I, I think for, it, sport is one of those, you know, it, it brings to mind, it was Jeff Gold. is it Jeff Goldblum? His quote in Jurassic Park. <laughs> wow, I didn't think we'd go there. He said, what did he say? He said, life finds a way. That's what he said, yeah, isn't he it? Did. Was it but Jeff Goldblum? It was Jeff yeah. Goldblum. I, I can't remember the name of his character. Doctor, <laughs> Doctor, Doctor Grant. It no, was. no, it wasn't Doctor Grant. I'll get. I'll come back to it. Oh, come on, someone, you can help us out. So, so, someone on Facebook, help, help us out. Yeah, it wasn't Doctor Grant. It was Jeff someone else. Jeff Goldblum. Look, in other words, my my repulse to that would be Doctor Malcolm. Sport finds a way. Sport no. finds a way to circumnavigate all these preconceived and preordained rules and, and and ways to help the elite you know manchester united are quite possibly staring into the void they are a couple of bad decisions away from being plunged into a club in real crisis you know that i mean it's it's been plain as day they've struggled since sir alex ferguson left 7 years ago they're the richest club by far in english football they've got the wealth of billionaires behind them they've got the, well, the brand they've got the brand they've got the commercial might to do anything they want and what have their results been on the pitch? Largely indifferent for the last seven years. Why is that? Because they fundamentally, they've not made great decisions <laughs> in management. Now, clubs that have made smart decisions, look at Everton. They've brought in Carlo Angelotti. They've made some astute signings. They're a well-run club. They're having a real upsurge in they've fortunes. They've also got a billionaire who, in their current model, this Man, is... Premier League, that, this that, is that's Man the money United. we're talking about now. This is the big six protecting themselves from this. This is them saying, we're done with Everton's of this world. We are done with money coming in to clubs that perhaps aren't traditionally massive. This is helping us. Man United, acutely aware that results haven't been good on the field. So what are they doing? They're coming up with rules. And I'm a United fan. I'm so dead against this, though. They're coming up. They're, they're masking all of this that will give money to the EFL clubs. They're masking it by saying, you know what, though? We'll protect our own interests because it has been a bit in the doldrums and we won't, don't want to lose out on a big slice of that pie moving I, forward. I think I think fundamentally, listen, any, any, any idea that is proposed by, in this case, two American billionaire owners of two clubs that are easily the most powerful, certainly in England and among the most powerful in Europe. Now, you've got to be suspicious of that and the motives behind it. You have to be because they're obviously very protecting their own self-interest. However, it does 
put the forward the question what to do now with the current Premier League setup because clearly things need to be addressed Absolutely. and there are ideas that have real merit in this plan that actually are a merit discussion further down the road whether this comes to fruition or not the idea that the EFL that the whole league and the whole pyramid should be supported by the wealth that's coming into the Premier League we've got to be behind there, that there's no one no one disagreeing with that Rob give them 250 million quid let it come out of the big club's pockets give them a 100 million gift to the FA 25% of the annual income I don't care about all of that as long as it is fair let's not give them all that and then what we're actually doing at the same time is they're stealing the crown jewels and they're wrapping themselves in safety and security I don't want that it's the last thing I want so many of you getting in touch got to say polarising as well a lot of you are I guess seeing a little bit further into the future with it Chris simply said you have to safeguard the 72 and the upper echelons of non-league a penny for Jurgen Klopp's thoughts on it because that he strikes me as a man who is all about meritocracy. Oh, not at all. He's German. German yeah. Germany's got the best. It's got the best model in in no, exactly. European football. Yeah, exactly. so I, I I believe he'd be against it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. He's just kind of socialist in that regard. He wants football to be in the hands of of supporters. And listen, Chris makes a fair point in the sense that you've got to look a little bit broader at this and the livelihoods lower down. But I just wouldn't. You're selling your you're, you're selling your soul a little bit to protect the clubs lower down. Should the answer not? And someone's messaged in. Naresh has asked. Eh, I'm with you, Chris. But then again, what do the big six get in return? They contribute the funds and they get what back. You know what, Naresh? They get. Nothing back. Why do they need to get something back? They have been allowed to pillar English football for 25 years. And I'm a fan of Man United, uh, but I'm just, I'm I'm terribly against this continued elongation of support and wealth going to the top six and then the rest picking up crumbs. That's what needs to change. I don't think you need to be pushing money through the lower leagues of the football and in return, the big six become ever more important and, and, you know, the, the, the key benefactors of those changes. It just doesn't sit well with me. A lot of you getting in touch, but of course, debate in restaurants, pubs, homes across the globe because the Premier League, for its ills, and it has many, it is still seen, I think, Rob, as the greatest, quote-unquote, league in world football. Um, yeah, I'm, a, I'm, I'm probably a bit biased because it's, it's the league I watch by far the most mm. out of all of all the European leagues and of all the, the leagues around the world. But uh, yeah, I think, um, you know, leagues, great leagues are made for, through a combination of, of obviously compelling sporting narrative, competition, um, a, a degree of parity, a degree of, of you know, that's one thing that is good about US sports when when you go into a new season in the NFL or if you go into an off season and you've got the draft upcoming in NBA look at what happened to the LA Lakers the LA Lakers were in the doldrums for years suddenly now they're NBA champions because you know they picked up LeBron yeah uh, help you. in a transfer um and obviously it's a bit different but with NFL the the reigning Super Bowl champions pretty much okay they might have a great squad but they start the new season you know, with with many rivals for mm. the following Super Bowl, and I, I like I do like that. Um, the idea that you know someone's mentioned uh, Spain and Barcelona and Real Madrid dominating, monopolising that league, Bayern Munich monopolising the Bundesliga, Juventus monopolising Serie A. To me, that's that's dull. I mean, it's 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 boring, it, it's stale, it's stagnant. It's it shouldn't happen. You shouldn't get that level of dominance by mm. one team. There's something wrong 
in the system. For all that Bundesliga is great in so many ways, there is something wrong about Bayern Munich pilfering all the other club's best players like they did with Lewandowski recently. I mean, it's so many that they've taken from Borussia Dortmund just alone who could be one of their who should be a great rival of theirs but end up playing second fiddle to them more often than not because of that. Um, so I, to, to, it's a long-winded answer, but yes, it is. But also, it's just we've seen recently, particularly as it's gone behind closed doors, the Premier League is so detached now. It's living in its own fantasy bubble. And, and, this, and, and there will, it's like a house of cards that will come crashing down eventually because it's unsustainable. We've been it saying is. that for a long time. It's hurtling towards a massive correction, I think. And this uh, could be it. I mean, it's Look been at the pay-per-views. Look at the £15 oh, to pay-per-views. I mean, that was a, a massive scandal back home where people were saying, what, I have to pay 15 quid to watch Brighton take on West Ham? I mean, well, come on. Well, fans of Brighton and West Ham, I'm sure, would pay the 15 quid. There wouldn't be 15 quid to watch a 90-minute game of football? Yeah, but then... The, it costs you four quid to go to the cinema. The, the detractors, The detractors would say it costs, you know... By the time you get public transport, your match day ticket, you buy a hot dog at half time, it costs 60 you know to 100 quid. Sky quid's. subscription used to cost 30 to mm. watch an, an entire month, 30 quid a month to watch all the football on Sky Sports. That they Granted, choose. Not every, not every game was televised, but 15 quid a game? Yeah, 15 quid. And it's up to you then if you want to pay that. So, for example, a Brighton fan, if you use Brighton there as an example, Brighton fans who can't yet get in the stadiums, the model there is they pay 15 quid every Saturday to see their team. 60 quid a month. Does that leave a, a bad taste in your mouth? 15 quid? I mean, right You're now we're, who... we're in a pandemic, but, but I understand it as well. If, if fans are not getting in, there will be fans out there that want to see their team. For some fans, Robbie, it is, and this may sound sad to some, it's life or death for some. You know, they, they, they put so much stock in their football team at weekends. It's Do what Amazon their... are doing. Televise all the games. You know, up your coverage. Sky make enough money. Yeah, they could do that. They absolutely could, but they, that's that's not the model. They spend billions to the Premier League. They need to recoup that back, and the clubs need to recoup money. You know, all these players, Jesse Lingard sitting on a hundred. The point is, it's hurtling towards a massive correction. That the money in TV, uh, they can't get away with it. They can't well, get away with charging. All, all that. I'm saying is, I, I genuinely hope, and as much as lower leagues, and, and we want the lifeblood of all the clubs, I really hope, and my fear is, we're hurtling towards a European Super League. Now, there will be some, and Chris clearly on 4001 is one that would say good riddance. If it means other English clubs can come from the lower regions, uh, uh, lower leagues, and flourish and be successful and be, I guess, solvent and, and you know, be surviving this, then so be it. But I, I don't want to see European Super Leagues. I, I hate the notion. Champions League is, is enough for me. I need my teams to be in the country that they're in, competing on as much of a level playing field as we can possibly get. This is Off Script Extra Time with Chris and Robbie on Dubai Eye 103.8. Join the conversation. We switched tact a little bit. So much, of course, going on in the world of sport and we witnessed sporting excellence, a masterful display from Rafa Nadal last night and it's only right I think that we discuss it and it's kind of ramifications pertaining to the goat race. Well yeah, the goat race that is entirely a media construct <laughs> and we should come clean and, and say that we have been guilty of oh, indulging yes. in this particular conversation in the past to the point where some people have gone, enough already, let's move on. We don't know who the greatest is. Brackets, it's Roger Federer. Usually, someone's got someone's got a dog in this race, and I think that's, that's why. this has become it's become so emotive, and it has become less about the stats and more about who you pin 
pin your colours okay. to which mast. And Let me change up the narrative then, because you're right to say, come on, guys, we, we seem to revisit this every six months or at least when something happens. Let's just rework it then, remodel, re-kind of look at it, because let's put Rafa Nadal into this race, because you said something interesting where I've always debated the merits of Roger Federer. You have for a long time debated the merits of Novak Djokovic. And let's be frank, there's been well, no one here to really you know, really kind of build up or at least discuss and, and talk and deliberate all things Rafa Nadal. True. And when we initially had this conversation a couple of years ago, I think for me it was the fact that I wanted to draw attention to the fact that Novak Djokovic does not get the same level of credence, of acknowledgement. This was back then. This was two years ago. So he's won a lot since then, subsequently, and he's moved himself much more firmly into that conversation. I think when we initially chatted about it, he was on 14 Grand Slams. Roger was on 20 and Rafa was on 16 or 17 at the time. And, you know, you were in the Roger camp. And I basically said, I think at the time I said, Novak, watch out. He could yet be the all-time winner. And I think the fact is, because of Fedal, because of this... Have you just used Fedal? No. Uh, <laughs> I know. You know what I mean? The, the fact that they are, Roger Federer and Rafa Nadal are such perfect rivals that actually Novak Djokovic, he, he spoilt it to some degree. He's the spoiler. He's the third wheel. He's, he's the man when three's a crowd, he's the guy that's actually the odd, the odd man out in this conversation because... They are the perfect complement to one another, Roger and Rafa. They have completely contrasting styles. They have completely contrasting personalities. They are great mates as well, clearly. Federer, in his post yesterday, quickly, that we were talking about a little earlier in the show, acknowledging, I don't think if, if Novak had won his 20th, I don't think Roger is posting a eulogising message on Twitter and, 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 and Instagram. I don't think he's doing it. Depends what the PR team. Potentially. But saying. my point being is, and I think if Novak won yesterday to get to 18 I don't think we'd have seen the level of sheer adulation that has been uh, directed the way of Rafa Nadal no, because I, I think that our, our respect and our admiration of Novak across the board now I just think this is something I've, I've observed when the general public he's got his hardcore fans of course he's got his loyal fans of course we know that it's not as unanimous across the board it's a bit more begrudging because for some reason and, and, and again, I point you to his press conference. The man is a class act. He lost with incredible amounts of grace last night. He, he listened he did, to his press conference. He did lose with great class. I think I, I kind of differ in, in, in some ways in the sense I, I think the, the enormous outpouring for Nadal isn't necessarily, certainly from what I've read, isn't necessarily the fact that he's drawn level with Roger. It was more the manner of his victory yesterday. Mm. That is as good as a performance on a tennis court that I've that I've seen, watching it obviously here live on air. So I'm missing one or two bits. I've watched the highlights after, as well. I mean, Rob, the stat to end all stats: Rafa Nadal against Novak Djokovic, who a lot of people in the game would would say best returner the game's ever seen, arguably. Yeah. Best mover that the game has ever seen, arguably. Yeah, and as well yeah, as that, has arguments. built a career that is counter-punching, that makes his opponent wilt. Essentially, keeps getting the ball back, and eventually, knowing that you are across from the metronome that is Novak Djokovic, you will break. That wasn't the case. Rafa Nadal yesterday, in that opening two sets, 6-love, six 6-2, six he made six 
unforced errors. Six. Novak Djokovic, the man who forces his opponents to make unforced errors, he made 17 alone in that second set. Six unforced errors, Rob, does not happen in Grand Slams. It does not happen in two sets. It certainly does not happen against Novak Djokovic. It's unbelievable. No, no it, was, it, was, it was spellbinding. It was incredible. I, for one, I said it before the tournament. I said it throughout the tournament and I was proved hideously wrong. I didn't think that Nadal was going to win the Freshers' Cup. I backed Djokovic and I thought that the, everything that was conspiring against Nadal, the fact that he hadn't had much match practice, the fact that he didn't play the US Open, that he'd had a longer layoff than most. He'd been beaten by Schwartzman in Rome. He'd come to the tournament a bit undercooked. Little did we all know that actually he was just preparing himself for putting on his, his pièce de résistance, yeah. the, the greatest clinic maybe that he's ever put on. Uh, watching him, and I said yesterday, Nadal's weakness, if he has one, has often been hitting it quite short. He hits it with such aggressive topspin that the ball sometimes pitches quite short in the court and someone like Djokovic, who hits with great length, can, can actually take advantage of that and can make a real game of it despite the angles and the topspin that Nadal can generate. Yesterday... Nadal hit with brutal power off both wings and he kept a deep, he pinned Novak back. He was fully aware that Djokovic had the, t- the tactic to, to use the drop shot against him and he was pouncing on it. Mm. He, he read Novak's tactics and preempted them and actually ambushed Djokovic and just completely in every department, even in the serve, which is not usually a strength of Nadal, completely outplayed Novak. It's not the first time that we've seen a one-sided scoreline in a Grand Slam final between these two. I do have to point you to the Australian Open in 2019, which Djokovic won 6-3, 6-2, 6-3. And that was, again, it was lights out tennis from Djokovic. Nadal never had a chance. So it's not like this hasn't happened in the past. We've got to tip our caps. But I think what we've got to do is it's certainly it's a conversation now that you've got to say the longer this goes on, the flimsier Roger Federer's case from a statistics point of view starts to look because he's starting to wane in certain key categories and he's still got that 20 but if the other two win more then they're going to surpass him in every category he's got the big three he's got Grand Slam record okay he is tied with Rafa he still has those 20 wins he has the longest spent at world number one 310 weeks that all being said Novak Djokovic is closing in he's 290 so he's 20 weeks which doesn't seem that much, no, and it isn't. Uh, that, that, Less you know, than six by months. By March, he'll by April, if March he stays there. next year. If he stays there, but r- really, who's going to surpass? Who's going to usurp Djokovic now? The man's only lost one match this year. Well, let, uh, yeah, let's see on that front. I don't know if the the uh, the rankings get carried over, but twenty weeks, you would expect him to usurp Federer in that category. Federer's won one hundred and three singles titles. Nadal eighty six, Djokovic eighty one. That looks pretty safe. For now, tournament wins, which again are an indicator of consistency across the board. Then it gets a little murkier. Novak Djokovic starts sticking his hand up because ATP Master 1000 events, which are the creme de la creme, if you will. I mean, what would you equate them in golfing parlance? The kind of world golf championships, aren't they? Yeah, exactly that. Djokovic has won 36, Nadal 35, Federer down to 28. Don't forget they were only brought in. (laughs) Yes, Towards the the midpoint of Federer's career. Federer was, and his injury problems at the turn of the, the 30s. And then the one that certainly, I think, most non-Roger Federer fans, there ain't many, but there are some that will be very much in the Rafa and Novak camp. The one thing that he will be beaten over the head with is his head-to-head records against those two men. Nadal and Djokovic, they have a better head-to-head record against them. And when you drill it down further, when you look at finals, Nadal is 6-3 over Federer. 
He's won six to Federer's three in Grand Slam finals. Federer, Djokovic. Djokovic has won four to Federer's one. And then when you look at Nadal, Djokovic head-to-head, Nadal is up. 5-4. In finals. But Djokovic leads them both in their own personal head-to-head. So look, it's, again, you can cook the numbers, you can cook the books any way you like right now. It's, it's Again, it's come down to sentiment. And I think one thing I am sure of is that Rafa Nadal's 13 French Open titles is the most extraordinary feat <laughs> yeah. in the history of tennis. And probably you'd put it in the top 10 of all of sport. 13 French Opens. It's bonkers. It is it, two matches lost in 100. But that, that is beyond comprehension. It really is. And when you think Djokovic, Australia is eight. Roger Federer's Wimbledon is eight. He's got five more than them on his favourite surface. And no one's actually beaten him in a French Open final. Djokovic and Federer, they have been. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.